glad to see you guys. I want to tell you up front that as we answer these questions, we're not going to be able in three or four minutes per question give you a fully sufficient and adequate answer. In truth, we're going to give you a few main ideas that we want you to think through. And then if you have further questions, you're like, man, you said something that really piqued my interest, or you didn't answer my question at all, Dan, then uh, let's get together. Let's have coffee. Send me an email, and then we'll schedule a time where we could take 20 or 30 minutes or longer if necessary in order to answer these two questions yeah, or a few questions. And we definitely want to point out that our goal in answering your questions is to never shame anyone. Uh, we're just here to open up dialogue and conversation in your own relationships and in your own marriage. So that's our prayer for this morning. That's our heart. Yeah. So we're going to start right away with questions from and about singles. So if you're not married yet, if you're uh, single again and you're hoping to have a relationship or you're wondering about your sex life as a single person, we're going to dive right into questions about that stage. All right. Question number one. I always hear the Bible say you can't have sex till marriage, but with today's society, it's the norm to do it with your partner. My question is, if you're in a long-term relationship with someone, is it okay to have sex before marriage? And if not, how will you know you're sexually compatible with the other beforehand? Another question is that's similar. How can I be certain that waiting for marriage to have sex is the best thing to do when it not only seems like everyone around me is having it, but that they are not facing any consequences? It seems as if my friend's previous sexual relationships have not affected their current sexual relationships. All right, thanks for submitting the question. Um, let me point out here in the first question, I would actually just give you a word of caution about the, the phrase or the word can't. You say the Bible says single people can't have sex until marriage. I would say the scripture doesn't actually say you can't do it. You can go do whatever you want to. I think the better way to phrase that, the better way to phrase it is the scriptures do teach that Christians shouldn't have sex until marriage. And phrasing it that way actually opens up a bit of a dialogue. Why does the Bible say it? Rather than just being a rule, oh, you can't do that. Um, but instead, it says you shouldn't do that. We tell you guys all the time that God wants something for you, not something from you. And so when you're thinking about why God would say you shouldn't do something, then you're starting to ask it with the mindset of, what is God trying to protect me from? What is God trying to offer me that I might not otherwise find? So I would be very cautious about saying can't or shouldn't, and we'll address that as questions come up again uh, throughout this morning. I would also point out, you are sexually compatible with whoever the heck you're dating. That's just how it works, okay? You guys are sexually compatible. You are sexually compatible with probably about half of all of humanity. And so it's not that difficult for you guys to enjoy each other physically. I don't think that you need to spend an inordinate amount of time worrying about whether or not you are going to be sexually compatible with your spouse and the reason, your future spouse. And the reason is that good sex takes time. No matter what, it'll take you years and years and years to learn each other's bodies, to learn each other's turn-ons and turn-offs. So even if you guys have a little bit of fun on the front end, sex when you've known each other for two months is completely different when you've known each other for 12 years. And so it's going to be a constant learning process. And so I would assume from the outset, look, we're sexually compatible. There are other areas of compatibility that are going to be much more difficult for us to work through. And so I'd encourage you to focus on those those areas of compatibility ahead of and even instead of your sexual compatibility until you're really ready to make that commitment for marriage. And then the last thing I'll say about this, and then Amber's going to chime in real quick on these two questions. Um, 
I would ask, how do you know that your friends are not facing consequences for the decisions they've made? It might not seem that way, but the truth is we all carry around wounds and baggage in our heart that we don't share with anybody else. You say, oh, I know my friend. Well, I know that you know them, but I would venture to guess that every single person you know has things in their heart and life that they've never shared with you, some of which may be tied to regrets and mistakes they've made with their body. And so I would just challenge you to not buy into the facade that they have put up that, man, I'm having it every single week and it's all good. It never affects me negatively. The last thing I'll say as a pastor is that even if somehow it's not impacting them so much today, I've seen it impact marriages too much in the future to buy into the idea that it has no bearing on your future relationships. And so don't allow yourself to buy into that. I would trust what the scripture says here, that God's best for you would involve saving your body for the person that you intend to spend the rest of your life with. It's good. I looked up some statistics that are kind of fascinating. I heard them first from Science Mike, and then I fact-checked them through the CDC reports. Um, The first one is millennials are actually having less sex than previous generations, so like Generation X and our parents. And married people have more sex than single people. What? It's also reported... It's also been reported that married sex is consistently rated as the most satisfying sex, as specific married women are more likely to report that they always or usually are having an orgasm. And then, this is my favorite, men and women's satisfaction rate is the highest in the ages of 50s, 60s, and 70s. So that's something to look forward to. Hey, oh. <laughs> you uh, empty nesters, man. No wonder you're smiling. I thought it was because your kids left. It's not it at all. I mean, the, the discussion behind that is that um, there's less urgency and there's more intimacy in those relationships. I mean, yeah. if you compare it, like, for a, a 19-year-old guy versus a 50-year-old guy, there really is less urgency and more time to devote into making that an intimate relationship. So yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. All right. Why don't we move on to the next question? All right. Next question. Is it okay to have sex with your fiance since you're both in a committed Christian relationship? Is it possible to be married in God's eyes without being married legal on paper? All right. Let me answer the second question first, and then we'll answer the first. The answer is yes. It would be possible in some circumstances to be married in God's eyes if you still are not legally married on paper. For example, in the 1930s and 40s, the Nazis outlawed Jewish people from having marriage ceremonies. Early on in the first and second century AD, there were um, the, the Roman government outlawed Christians from participating in marriage ceremonies, civil ceremonies at least. So in those circumstances, I think because of the hardships that believers were facing, that they could honestly say, look, I'm committed to this person. We have had a ceremony amongst our friends and family, and although the government won't recognize our marriage, God honestly would look at that as a binding covenant. So what's your situation? Um, If your situation is, well, it just doesn't make financial sense right now, you know? If your situation is, well, we want to wait until we're out of school and then we can go ahead and do the whole ceremony thing, but we know it's coming, and so we're just going to go ahead and act like we're married today, Um, can I just challenge you to recognize that the, the first situations that I mentioned are nowhere in the same ballpark as the second situations that I mentioned? And so we are very, very good at justifying things in our mind. Nobody is better at selling you on something than you. 
You will convince yourself of things, whether it's your financial life, your relational life, your spiritual life. You will convince yourself of things time and time again that anybody from the outside looking in would say, come on, that's silly. You know better than that. That's not a great idea. Um, And so I think this is probably one of those areas. I'm just going to give you the very short, direct pastoral answer. If you are a Christian and you are trying to honor God's design for marriage, then no, you can't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend simply because you guys believe that you'll be married someday. I would challenge you, either go ahead and follow through, make the decision, have the ceremony. I mean, if you love each other that much and you're that committed, it's okay. Finances will work themselves out. You don't have to have the wedding that, you know, costs $25,000. You can move into marriage sooner rather than later if you're ready for it. If not, then I'm just going to challenge you to trust that Jesus really does have your best interests at heart, and the less sex you have on the front side of your relationship, the more satisfaction and the lower the divorce rate is on the back side of marriage. We've proven that through research, and so I would just challenge you to to take God at his word on this, to look at the studies and research that have been done, and do what you probably know you should do in this situation anyway, and that is just wait a few months until you're actually ready to make the commitment, okay? Um, Now, uh, third question. It seems like everyone has had sex before marriage these days. How do I, as a person who saved myself for marriage, deal with the inevitable possibility of marrying someone who has already had multiple partners? Yeah, and I want to address the the word in that question, everyone, because I don't think it is everyone. In fact, that statistic that I just listed, millennials are having less sex. It actually, the number is around a little over 50% of millennials are not having sex. And so um, it's not everyone. And if your prayer and your hope is that you find someone that has waited just as long as you have, then, um, then wait you know, go for it. Don't, you know, continue to pray for that. Continue to expect that God is going to provide that prayer and that hope. But if you find that you are in a relationship, that you've married someone who has past baggage, past sexual relationships, whatever that might be, please acknowledge firsthand that you're not entering this marriage without your own baggage. Mm -hmm. You have your back history and your story, even if it's not sexual. There's other things. Every marriage brings together baggage that you have to deal with. And then be forgiving. So just because you've saved yourself, it doesn't mean that you can't forgive that other person for not waiting. Um, And so be open-minded and forgiving to that person. But I want to just applaud you for waiting and making that decision. That's wonderful. All right, next question. Next question. As a single person who is advanced in age, should I continue to withhold the joys of sex from myself if I fully expect that marriage is not in the cards for me? At this point, saving myself for marriage is not really a concern. All right. I am not sure what advanced in age means, and I'm very hesitant to define that for you. And so I don't know if you're thinking I'm in my mid-30s, and that counts because most people are married by that point, or if you're like, no, I'm actually 60, and I'm fairly advanced in age, and very few people that are my age actually get married. So I don't know what you mean by that or what your specific situation might be. Um, I would challenge you to never um, say, well, it's just too late. You have no clue what tomorrow holds. Um, You could meet the person 
tomorrow. Or maybe they're sitting in the theater and you just haven't you know, smiled at them yet. I don't know. But you can't say, well, it's too late. It's never going to happen for me. God does miraculous stuff all the time. And so you may think there's no hope. You may think there's no way. And then next thing you know, he kind of opens a door that you thought was shut and locked and barred permanently in your life. Now, um, let, me, let me just talk to you for a sec a little bit about... Um, I guess the question behind the question here, because the question behind the question is, can I live a fulfilling and satisfying life if I never experience or have and then fill in the blank? In your case, it's a marriage or it's sex. But I want you to understand that every person on the planet has to answer that exact same question. They just fill in the blank with a different word. So while you're asking, like, should I withhold sex? I mean, can I even live a fulfilling and meaningful life if I never get to experience sex at all? There are other people that are asking, like, well, can I live a meaning and fulfilling life if I never get married? They had sex, but they never had marriage. And so they're wrestling through that. Um, Like my situation, I have to wrestle through, like, can I have a meaningful and fulfilling life if I never have children? If God never grants me the thing that I think I want most in the world, could I still be happy and satisfied and say my life is worth living? And that's the ultimate question that we're all wrestling with. You're not wrestling through this on your own. You're not dealing with the heartache of not, you know, things not working out the way that you expected. You're not working through that all by yourself. Literally every other single person in this theater is working through it. Maybe about a different topic, maybe about the exact same one that you're worried about yourself right now. So I want you to ask yourself this question instead of the others that you submitted or the one that I just surfaced. Let me ask you this. Uh, Can I trust God to meet my deepest needs? That's really what it comes down to. If God never gives me the thing that I want most in the world, will I continue to look at my life as unfulfilling, wasted, missed opportunity, I didn't get to experience everything I hoped I could, Or will I say, God, I know you love me and you have a plan and a purpose for my life, that my life can still have meaning. I can still make a difference. I'm not... I'm not trash. I'm not, you know, lesser somehow than somebody else simply because I never had a marriage or I never had sex or healing or whatever it might be in your life. Last thing I'll say about this and we'll move on to the next question is that if you're a Christian, you have a hope and a belief, maybe even a conviction that this life is not all there is. That one day there is going to be a kingdom that is everlasting. And the pleasures of that kingdom are so great, Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, sex won't even be a part of the things that happen there. Why? Because everything is multiple times better than sex. And so when you say to yourself, if I never have sex, I'm going to be miserable and I can't be happy and man, my life won't be meaningful and fulfilling, I want you to understand that the 70 years you have here on earth are not all that you'll have. You will have an eternity where you are fulfilled. You will have a never-ending lifetime where you have the opportunity to experience pleasures and excitement and joy and relationship that you thought you would never get because you only assumed this life was all that there was. All right, let me ask the next question here. Um, 
what recommendations do you have for someone that has made inappropriate sexual decisions with their partner in the past, and they're wanting to turn over a new leaf and do things right, or I think probably biblically would be a better word, moving forward? Um, I've consented in the past, but I don't want to consent moving forward. And then a secondary question that somebody else submitted was, do you have any tips for single people to stay abstinent? Yeah, we want to just applaud you for making that decision and, and just know that it's not the easy road. We acknowledge that, and, uh, and especially if you have past history. Um, I would encourage you, remain focused on your why, why you're doing this, why you made this decision. Um, is it purity, saving intimacy for your spouse? Whatever that why might be, keep that in front of you. And then um, trust in God's forgiveness for your past and, um, and that he has the power to help you overcome any temptation that might come your way. And acknowledge temptation is not the sin. You desiring to have sex is not a sin at all. But, uh, you know, going after that and, and falling into that is. So stay away from temptation. And I would encourage you put up boundaries and communicate those to your um, partner, spouse, relationship, whatever. Um, not spouse, they're not married. Yeah. Uh, but, but make sure that you're communicating boundaries and you set up a clear boundaries. So that might mean not hanging out your house and watching movies alone or uh, always going on public dates or group dates or whatever. Set up the boundaries, whatever you need. Analyze that, communicate them very clearly, very well, and be on the same page with it. Mm-hmm. So I'll say in regards to this, that ultimately it just comes down to what you want. Like if you, like again, it's not that you can't do whatever you want. If you want to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, go do it. I mean, that's up to you. It's between you and them and God, and you can deal with consequences, or maybe you won't for now. I don't know. We're not imposing a sexual ethic on you. What we are doing is saying from a biblical perspective, for somebody who's following Jesus, this is the best possible path that we can recommend. Set up your boundaries Find someone to help hold you accountable because you will never overcome the sins that so easily entangle you until you have some accountability in them. And then move forward believing that God honors those who honor his word. All right. Let's, um, let's move to the married people. All right. Here we go. Married here. questions. This Everybody. is where we get a little blushy. <laughs> sex toys within marriage. Okay or not okay? What do you think? Are sex toys okay if used on you by your partner? Is S&M okay if both spouses willfully consent? Is it wrong to engage in oral or anal sex? It's getting hot in here. All right. These are actual questions that you guys submitted. We did not make up any questions to make it a little more spicy, okay? This is what you guys actually wrote in. Um, First of all, thanks so much for asking these questions. I think it's wonderful that you were willing to submit them. Um, There are lots of people that wonder about these things. I get these questions all the time in pastoral counseling sessions. Certainly in premarital counseling, we talk about these sorts of things. And so um, I applaud you for asking them. We've kind of grouped these questions together because although they are slightly different, we can address all of them and a whole bunch of other uh, similar type questions with the same sort of approach or framework, which I'll give you here in just a sec. First off, I would say that the question, is it okay, is really the wrong question to ask. 
It's not that it's a bad question. It's It's just that it's not the best question that you could ask. Is it okay for us to do whatever? Is it okay for my husband to masturbate if I don't feel like sleeping with him tonight? I mean, is it okay? We could talk about okay, but instead of doing that, we want to ask three specific questions. If you only ask general questions, you're only going to get general answers, and general answers are often not very helpful. So let's ask three specific questions in regard to this, and then you can apply these to almost any area of your spiritual life. The questions are these. Is it sinful? That's question number one. Does the Bible clearly say somewhere, if you're a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't do this. It's contrary to God's will and desire for your life, so don't do it. It's sinful. Then you're going to ask, is it helpful? That is, could it be beneficial to a marriage, to a relationship in some way? And the last thing you're going to ask is, is it enslaving? Does it have the power to grip your heart and mind and body so much that you would be pulled away from the ideals that you want to be true of your marriage? So if we were to walk through these questions using those three, that framework of three specific questions, then um, we might get some more clarity on whether or not you should use or be involved with any of these particular things in your marriage. So let's start with sex toys. Is it, is it sinful or scriptural, we might say? The Bible does not say anything about sex toys. Turns out they didn't exist in the first century. And so... The Bible actually doesn't say directly they're right or they're wrong. We can't make a strong case either way. That doesn't mean that they're automatically a good idea or you should just dive right in and, you know, whatever. Um, But we can say for certain the scriptures never prohibit these sorts of uh, items in your marriage, okay? So we could ask, is it scriptural or sinful? We can answer that with the Bible doesn't address it. Can it be healthy uh, or helpful? I think that it can be. Um, In the context of your marriage, I think that it can help. It can help a wife uh, achieve an orgasm on a regular basis. Nothing wrong with that. If it makes sex more enjoyable between you and your spouse, then that's a good thing. Um, It can help men with their stamina. You can just make it last a little bit longer in some cases uh, with the use of some external aids. So we could say, yeah, it could be helpful. But then we ask the last question, could it be enslaving? And the answer to that question is it could be. It doesn't have to be, but it could be. See, here's the deal. Sex toys can do for you something that your spouse cannot Your spouse cannot do what the toys can do for you. And so while they might be helpful in aiding your pleasure together, you can very quickly become dependent on them. And if you start to use them all by yourself, then pretty soon you don't even need your spouse or your partner anymore in order to have your needs met. And so there's the potential for it to be enslaving. And so you want to be cautious about that. Short answer on sex toys is if both of you guys are comfortable and they're not, you know, ruining your intimacy and causing you to meet your own sexual needs apart from your spouse, I don't think there's any problem with them. Go enjoy. Yeah, and I want to name drop a resource here. So marriagesupply.com is actually uh, run by Christians. It's a porn-free marriage supply store. They ship to Canada, and they have a 
subscription box. Yeah. So, so you guys can do that. That's part of the problem. Like if you want to buy sex toys, you don't want to go to a sex shop because there's lots of stuff in there that you may not want to expose yourself to. Um, same thing when you go online, you know, it's like you go to a toy store online and they've got porn stars hawking their devices and things like that. Um, and so marriagesupply.com is a place where you can go and you can purchase things that might aid your marriage and do it in a way that won't, you know, pull you down the porn rabbit hole. Okay. Um, so we can work through the rest of these pretty quickly. Um, BDSM, that is uh, bondage, domination, uh, submission, sadomasochism. Are those things, are they okay in a Christian marriage? Well, that's a bad question. Let's ask, first of all, are they scriptural or are they sinful? Um, the truth is they can be sinful. The Bible calls you to nurture and love your spouse. And so if in your sex life, all you care about is dominating them and degrading them, making them feel bad, even if they want it, I'm just not sure that really matches up with what God's plan was for your sex life. And so I can't tell you it's definitely sinful, but I think this falls closer to that end of the spectrum than some of the other questions. Is it helpful? I suppose it could be. Again, I'm not going to take a strong stance on this, but I would just caution you about that because especially in the world of BDSM, it tends to go from like relatively tame and mundane, and then it's like, okay, now this is old school. We've done this, so now we need to move it the next link down the chain and further and further and further. And then pretty soon you're into some heavy stuff where you're actually hurting or harming one another, and I think that's probably not the most helpful thing. And then is it enslaving? Well, for goodness sake, it involves handcuffs you guys. And so um, I, I think it has the potential as much as any of these, probably more so than most, to enslave you, okay? Um, oral and anal sex, I think you should just work through those yourself. The short answer is the Bible doesn't prohibit those things. They can be helpful if you both enjoy them, but you don't want them to enslave you. You don't want it to become your primary method of enjoying each other physically. And then um, I actually had somebody ask me face-to-face -face last week, what does the Bible say about swinging? And I was like, whoa, I didn't expect to get that question face-to-face, -face, much less via the internet. And um, when we work through this particular question with this three um, framework here, this three-question framework, is it sinful? Yes, the Bible's very clear that would be sinful or contrary to God's will for a Christian marriage because it involves somebody other than you and your spouse. Once you say, yes, the scripture clearly prohibits it, then you don't need to go any further. The last thing I'll say, and we'll move on, um, you, conscience and consent are incredible critical in this topic, whether it's oral sex or it's BDSM or sex toys or whatever, if your spouse has an issue of conscience with any of these things and they do not consent, as we'll see in a moment, that's sinful. You need to stop right there, okay? Is it scriptural? Is it helpful? Is it enslaving? And then is my partner on board with this? Next question. If they want something that you are not okay with, uh, how do you keep your marriage healthy and satisfying when your spouse has fantasies or sexual desires that you do not want to take part in? Okay, thanks for your honesty in that question. Some of you guys may be in that situation, whether you're the one who wrote this question or not. It's actually two separate questions that came in. Um, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to address those of you guys who are um, uncomfortable or uncertain if you would want to participate in a particular sexual scenario or fantasy, okay? Here's the truth. From a scriptural standpoint, I think from a common sense and a, a serving standpoint, if you want to be a servant lover like we've talked about over the last few weeks, you don't have to do anything that you're uncomfortable with. 
Don't let your spouse take the Bible and say, well, Pastor Dan said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the wife should meet her husband's needs, and this is my need, lady. Don't do that. That's not what the Bible says, okay? If you have an issue of conscience in this, you do not have to do anything that your wife or your husband asks you to do. Let me address those of you guys that have fantasies. Um, we all do, but in particular, those of you that have fantasies that your spouse does not want to participate in. Um, first off, I think you guys should talk through those fantasies, okay? You should have conversations about them. But let me ask you, why is it you want this specific sexual scenario so badly? Why do you want this to happen Saturday night in your house? Um, is it because you did it with a past lover and you really, really enjoyed it and you think, man, I miss that. I go back to that night a lot in my mind and I sure would like to have it happen again. Or is it because it's something you've seen time and again in pornography? I would ask, what is it that's motivating you to want to do this thing? And to ask, does it really come from a healthy place or does it come from a darker place that maybe I haven't even admitted to my spouse? Um, just because it was fun with a past lover doesn't mean that it's going to be fun with with the person that you're married to, okay? Um, you might find out that it's not at all. And just because you see people who are getting paid thousands of, of dollars to do something on video doesn't mean that it's something that a loving couple should be doing to one another, okay? Um, I'm not telling you that your fantasies are wrong or gross or sinful necessarily. I'm just asking you to be honest about why you want those things in the first place. Um, I'll also ask you, what is your fantasy communicating to your spouse? When you ask them to do this or to do that, are they hearing you essentially say, I'm not good enough for him, or she's not enough for me. He wishes I looked more like that instead of this. If so, you're actually destroying, ruining, tearing down intimacy in your marriage instead of building it up. And so I, I think you should be cautious about what your request is communicating. And then the last thing I'll just challenge you to do is to defer if you are the one asking for something that your spouse is uncomfortable with, it's not their job to give in, it's your job to defer, okay? If you go to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter, um, chapter I think we've got it here on the screen, don't we? Um, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, sorry, the chapter was slipping in my mind. Um, the, the scripture talks about how it is actually a sin to force or coerce someone to violate their conscience, if they have issues with something, and this could be sexual, could be alcohol, could be going to certain movies, could be anything under the sun, really, that Christians might wrestle through. If you force that person to violate their conviction or conscience on the issue, you are the one who has sinned. And so you want to be very careful not to coerce your spouse into something, not to, to get your way at the expense of genuine intimacy with your partner, okay? All right, uh, question number eight. We've got a few more here. When one spouse has a higher libido than the other, how do you deal with differences in sex drive and keep the relationship healthy and porn-free? By the way, this was the number one question we received. I couldn't even write all of the questions down on one slide. Yeah, so first, I just want to say, don't compare, because comparison can be really difficult, especially if you're just talking to your best friend, talking about sex and how frequent you have sex. Um, that's not healthy to compare, especially to your close relationships outside of your marriage. Um, but I do want to list out some averages for you, just so you know. A typical sex frequency for married couples in general is once a week. 
If you're in your 20s, it's two to three times a week. Like bunnies. <laughs> 30s, it's one to two times a week. 40s, three times a month. 50s, one to two times a month. Um, there's a common misconception that low libido is always women. Um, there's, it's actually 50-50 of women and men equally having a high libido. So um, if you didn't know that, I think that just women don't talk about that as much and men don't talk about having a low libido as much because it can kind of be um, emasculating, right? So um, I just want to list off a couple things that might be helpful for you. Uh, medications, most medications are going to lower your libido. Uh, depression, anxiety medications, even birth control, sadly. Um, and also communicate your turn-offs. So what might have been a turn-off or a turn-on in the beginning of your marriage could now be 15 years later a turn-off. So you want to continually communicate you know, what that smell is that you hate or, or that, uh, him touching your foot or, <laughs> or whatever that is, that is your turn off. Communicate them throughout your marriage and not just at the beginning. Um, okay. So I want to talk to the women first, the women that have the higher libido in the room. Um, first, you need to respect and honor your husband because if you're nagging him all day long and then you're trying to get some, he's not going to be down with that. Um, I like to point out if you're nicer to your waiter at dinner than you are your husband, uh, that's probably a big red flag. So that's something to work on because men really do want to feel respected. Um, when you do respect them, then they feel honored and they feel loved and, and then testosterone starts going and they're ready to go. So um, for the men with the higher libido, uh, I want to give you a little bit of insight into a woman's brain. So uh, for women, it very much is in their head. So when you come at them and you're like, hey, you ready? Uh, they're going to have some questions first. One is, do I feel pretty today? Uh, do I feel sexy? Do I feel desired? Or is this just something I'm just needing to meet his need? Is it like something on my to-do list? Or is this something I feel you desiring me? So um, that really does play a big part in, in whether or not they're ready to engage in a sexual relationship. Um, just pursue your wife. I want to encourage you to do that. Just as much as you did when you were dating, pursue your wife even now still. Buy her flowers, buy her chocolates. That's my favorite, by the way. Um, <laughs> Noted. And, um, just pursue them, love them, tell them that they are beautiful. Make them feel admired, and then it'll go a long way in the bedroom. I like to make an analogy. Uh, it's kind of a strange one, but it goes with my health background. Uh, with sex relationships and scoliosis. So uh, scoliosis is where your spine actually is out of alignment and there's a curvature in your back. And it's caused because there's uh, one side of your back, your muscles are so tight that they're pulling the spine out of alignment. Now, so we're going to take that and apply it to our sexual relationships and our marriages. If your marriage is always being pulled by one side, there's always one person asking uh, demanding, whatever that looks like, it's always being pulled by one side, your marriage is going to be out of alignment. So I want to encourage and talk to the people in the room with low libido. 
if, if your spouse is always asking for it and you're never giving it, or if you're never initiating, there's going to be a misalignment in your marriage. So I want to encourage you, don't let them always initiate. Initiate yourself, even if you have to work a little bit harder to get there. Initiate more, and that's going to help create and take out that curve in your marriage. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right, let's move on to... Oh, we the... have some resources. We oh, yeah, please share those quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, resources to help you with the subject on libido and, and marriage in general, really. Uh, the book Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman is really good. If you've never read that, you can even take a quiz online. Uh, 31 Creative Ways to Love and Encourage Him or Her by the Beth Keys and Love That Last by the Beth Keys. All right, and we'll post these on our Facebook page so you can have access to them as well. Okay, question number nine. Uh, This is another one that we received, probably the second most common question that we received. What about guys, quote-unquote, dealing with themselves, that is, masturbating when their wife is tired? Is there any circumstance within a marriage where masturbation would be acceptable? So let's go back to that three-question test that I proposed to you earlier. Is it sinful? Is it helpful? And is it enslaving? Um, the, The short answer to this is, no, masturbation from a biblical perspective is not necessarily in and of itself sinful. There's never a place in the Bible where the Scripture says, don't touch yourself. It just doesn't say that. What it does say is you shouldn't lust after people you're not married to. It's very clear that that would be a sin. Um, There is one example from the Old Testament where some people take it to mean God is opposed to uh, you pleasuring yourself if it could not possibly result in sex. We're not going to get into, or I'm sorry, with um, conception. Um, we're not going to get into that scenario too much, but I'll just tell you that that's really not what that particular story from the book of Genesis is dealing with. It's dealing with somebody who is dodging their responsibility and providing for their wife, um, and that was the issue that God had with them in that particular scenario. So there's nothing in the scripture that says, always and forever, no, it's a, a, a wrong thing or a sinful thing for a Christian. Um, is it helpful? Well, it could be. It could be helpful in a few different scenarios, particularly within the context of your marriage. If you guys are separated, many of you wives have husbands who work in other parts of the country and they're gone for weeks on end. Um, There is the potential for masturbation between you and your partner to be a helpful way to relieve the, the sexual energy that you guys have. Now, I would challenge you to include your partner in it. So it's not just you, and you're like, well, he's not going to be back for you know four more days, and so I'll just do my thing. What I would challenge you to do is involve your spouse in it, um, even when you guys are together. I think this is really the best thing. It should be a sex act between spouses when at all possible. This will help you to learn each other's anatomy, to give each other pleasure. I mean, it's just one of those things that, like, it's okay. You should be able to um, enjoy one another's body in that way. If you are separated or if you're like, well, it's just me and we're not able to do this together, is it wrong for me? I had somebody stop me in the hallway this morning and say, is it wrong for me to masturbate if I'm picturing my spouse? And the answer is no, it's probably not wrong. Is it the most helpful thing? It could be in some circumstances. Is it enslaving? It could be. You may find that masturbation is just easier, and so you use that to meet your own needs and ignore your spouse's needs. You guys know who John Mayer is, like the musician? He gave the most fascinating interview to Rolling Stone magazine in 2012 you could ever hope to read. Like, the guy was completely stoned out of his mind, I think. And he talks about, this is a guy who, like, 
travels the world. He could sleep with any woman he wants to. And he says that he has so, he's become so addicted to masturbating that anytime he has sex with a physical person, it cannot measure up to the fantasies that he has in his head. He says, before I roll out of bed on most mornings, I've seen 300 vaginas. There's no way that your wife can compete with 300 other women or the fantasies that you see in porn. And so if you are primarily meeting your own sexual needs through masturbating alone, then you will not have intimacy. You're gonna have lots of sexual dysfunction in your relationship both now and in the future. And so I would caution you to be very careful about it. Yes, it can be a way for you to meet your needs. It cannot be the primary way. And the moment you start pleasing yourself and thinking of someone that you're not married to, you have clearly crossed over into what the Bible would call sin, okay? That means that if you're not yet married to somebody, then anybody that you masturbated over would be somebody else's spouse, future spouse at least. And so I would caution you about doing that. Um, You know, it's a tough spot to be in. I get it. I was single. I understand. However, um, you don't want to become enslaved by your ability to please yourself without the, the work or the commitment that comes in a sexual relationship. Okay. Uh, Next question. Um, Do you have any tips on discussing specific sexual desires or fantasies with your partner? I would say in this communication is key. Absolutely communicate whatever this fantasy. I think we all have pleasures, things that would make us happy. You need to make sure that they're not harmful to you or your spouse, not enslaving, but just communicate together what those things are and um, keep them within your boundaries of marriage. Yeah. Do you want to give a shout out to the Free Sex Podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's a podcast that we recommend that all married people or single, it addresses pretty much every subject that has been asked today. Um, It's called Free Sex Podcast. Um, You can find it at freesexpod.com. It's Christians who talk about sex and want to make this a less taboo subject. Um, We believe here today that at the church, it's not a taboo subject. And uh, you can definitely learn more on the podcast. Here's a tip. Google free sex podcast. Don't Google free sex. You'll get something else. All right, a couple of questions left. We're going to wrap this up. Thanks for bearing with us. These are kind of miscellaneous questions. They don't necessarily apply directly to people who are married or people who are single. Um, the, The first question is, what do I teach my kids regarding sex? Man, is that a good question. I am so glad we get to address that. I'm going to do it quickly because we're running short on time this morning. I would tell you this as a parent, you need to address sexuality with your children much earlier than you think you do. Much earlier than you think you do. I'm talking like five years old. You need to start having birds and bees sorts of conversations with your kids because they're going to come across this stuff way earlier than you're ready to talk about it, which means if you don't have a birds and bees conversation with your kid until they're 11 years old, they've had six years of birds and bees conversations with the internet, with their friends on the playground, with the movies that they see. And so you need to be proactive in teaching your kids about sex. Here's my recommendation. I'm not a parent, so you can throw this out the window if you want, but I would encourage you to use the correct terminology for your children's body parts as much as possible. Tell them that is your penis. 
That is your vagina. And the reason for that is because you want them to own their body as a good thing. This is not a shameful thing. It is a private thing, but it's not a shameful thing. And when we call it hoo-hoos and hee-hees and tee-tees and ta-tas, you know what our kids think? Oh, this is bad. This is dirty. I can't talk to even mommy and daddy about this. And then... God forbid somebody ever tries to take advantage of your child. They don't even have language to use what's been happening to them. Let me give you one more quick resource here. There's a book that I highly recommend. It's designed for you to present to your children. It's called God Made All of Me by Justin Holcomb. It's like 15 bucks. Buy it. Parents, take a picture of this. Go buy it. And literally, if your kids are four or five years old, start using it. If they are 14 years old, use it with them, okay? Um, Help them to understand that sex is a good thing. God gave it to us. It's blessed by him. And there are also boundaries that we should honor. Next question. Um, Should Christians use birth control? I think that any birth control that does not abort a baby after conception um, is totally within the confines of Christian morality. Um, things like the morning after pill, we would not recommend. Um, as a holistic healthcare professional, I just want to throw in there, think about this, that you are putting a synthetic, chemically made hormone into your body. So um, I have regrets in the past of using this, and so I, just, I do wish I could go back in time and not use it. So I would recommend that you do your research on your own on what you're putting into your body and talk to your doctor and find out if it really is the right thing for you personally. Um, and also, lastly, I would probably not advise any Christian single girls to just go on birth control just in case. Now, I understand that doctors can sometimes prescribe uh, for other reasons, but if you're just on birth control just in case... Um, I just, as a single person, I wouldn't advise that as putting a teenage girl who doesn't really have, you know, the comprehension of why she's going on that. I just, I wouldn't do that. Um, Yeah, anything else on that? No. Um, Okay, we've got two questions left, and we're going to move through them real quick, guys. Um, The the next question, and this one is too big for us to really tackle, so we're going to give you a very succinct answer on this, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more in weeks to come. How should the church respond to LGBTQ issues? Um, And then they say, I once heard someone explain to me that when Paul is talking about homosexuality in the New Testament, he's strictly speaking about the act, the physical act of same-sex sex, and this person explained to me that homosexuality back in that era was much different than what it is today, saying that today homosexuality is an identity or an orientation, uh, whereas in ancient times homosexuality really was just the act of two people of the same sex having sex together. And then um, somebody else asked, look, if sex literally bonds two people together the way that you said in your message a couple of weeks ago, Dan, how would you explain, if possible, the bond between those and same-sex relationships? First off, let me say um, the church doesn't respond to LGBTQ issues. It's just the wrong way to frame it. It's not about issues. It's about people. Okay? It's people. So if you ask, Dan, what should I do about LGBTQ issues, I'm going to say, I don't know. I'll tell you what you should do about LGBTQ people. I'm going to quote my friend, the right Reverend Billy Graham here, and I'm going to say that it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it is God's job to judge, and it is my job to love. Now, here's, I'm just going to be up front with you guys. I won't perform a same-sex marriage for a Christian couple. I just think it's contrary to what the scriptures say. That's just our stance on the issue. We can talk more about this. If you've got issue, you want to ask why, we can talk more about it. I get it. 
But I want to say up front that people of all sexual orientations are welcome at Connect Church. Our launch team had a lesbian couple that served every single day. Some of you didn't even know they were lesbians, but sure enough, they were. They still attend on some Sundays, and I'm glad that they're here. If you have same-sex attraction, if you're oriented towards attraction towards somebody of the same sex, I love you. I want to be your friend. Let's have dinner. You're not an abomination. You're not unwelcome in our church, okay? I believe God loves you. And so Christians really need to be able to rehab our approach to people who are questioning their sexuality, people who have made up their minds on their sexuality. We just need to come from a much more loving perspective on this. That's all I'm going to say for today, but we'll have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about it in the future. If you want to have a conversation about this because of your own questions or your own you know, um, orientation or whatever, I would love to talk with you about it. I'm not going to try to convert you. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong and going to hell because you're attracted to other men. That's just not what the scripture says, but I want to help you to understand at least where God comes from on the particular subject, okay? Last question. Um, oh gosh, this is such a heavy one, so we're, we're just going to throw it out there because some of you deal with it. I was sexually abused as a child, and the thought of being a person of sexual interest to a man is somewhat terrifying. How do I stop the fight or flight mechanism in order to be properly intimate? The first thing I want to say about this, if this is you, uh, I'm sorry that this happened to you. I'm sorry that someone took away from you and made something that God created as beautiful and intimate into something gross and terrifying. And I want to encourage you, if you've never shared this story with someone before, to tell somebody. Um, Don't hold this in. Don't hold it in all by yourself. You are not alone in this. In fact, one in four women in North America have been or will be sexually abused sometime in their life. And uh, it's not just women. Uh, With all of these sexual assaults, there's 20% of those that are men that are actually sexually abused. Um, I want you to acknowledge that this is going to be a process of therapy and healing. Uh, Don't be afraid. Don't think that it's a scary thing to go reach out for help and find a therapist. If you're um, looking for one, we can guide you and help you find that. I also have some resources here that I'm going to list for you. But don't be afraid to reach out for help. Acknowledge that this is going to be a process. Um, When you marry somebody, communicate this with them. Don't be afraid to hold this all in. This is not a burden that you have to carry alone. Communicate it with them because there's going to be certain things that they need to know. There's going to be triggers that you have, whether it's them touching your knee or saying a word um, or just whispering in your ear. That could trigger something that's really terrifying in your mind, and you're going to have to work through those things. And so be sure to go and tell your spouse or your loved one what you're dealing with. Don't carry that weight alone. Um, I'm going to list off a few resources that would be really helpful in this area. Uh, It's a few websites here. Thankgodforsex.org, theallendercenter.org, and the book Healing the Wounded Heart by Dr. Dan Allender. Uh, Definitely check that out. Also another website, tinaschwimmersellers.com, and the book Sex, God, and the Conservative Church. We're going to list all these online for you and in our podcast when we post it on Wednesday. But be sure to check out if that's you. If and One in four women in this room will or have suffered sexual abuse. So this is not something that needs to go secret. Um, make sure you reach out for help. Make sure you look at all of those resources.
Let me pray, and then I'm going to welcome Tyler to the stage to close the service. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would um, just bring healing to every single person here. I pray that we would be a church that is full of strong, healthy marriages where sex is embraced, and God, it reflects the unity and intimacy that you desire for every single husband and wife. I pray that you would protect our single folks, that God, they would be able to guard their mental purity. They'd be able to guard their physical purity. They would do it, God, in a way that is healthy and healthy and sets them up for the best possible future. I pray, God, that you would continue to reveal the mind of Christ to us, that, God, we would be able to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves in this world. God, we commit ourselves to you, and we thank you so much for our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. 